Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Titan Talk podcast. I'm Nicholas Bruno, also known as Pumped and Wine. Today, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Andy Wilson and Jose Moniz. Uh, just a quick heads up before we get started. Andy had some audio issues, so there will be a little bit of weird editing going on at the beginning of the podcast today. I'm uh, doing well. It's <laughs> doing well. Uh, it's good to have uh, the whole... Uh, the whole group together it's been a it's been a while since we've had uh moniz here with us yeah yeah it's been a it's been a rough couple of weeks uh mostly due to technical issues on behalf of my pc and also some health issues i wasn't able to evade covid for the its entirety and uh got covid fortunately was fully vaccinated and got recovered in a week uh, but then I had tonsillitis and because my immune system must have been all kinds of fucked up from COVID. Uh, but yeah, fully recovered, uh, working from home, you know, the usual. Well, it's, uh, I'm glad you're feeling better now. Uh, I've been lucky enough to actually not have COVID, but like last week I had what was possibly like just the worst cold I've ever had in my life, like week and a half ago. And I took so I've taken so many rapid tests since that because every time I'm just like I just don't believe that this isn't COVID. This has to be COVID, but no, it was just a very bad cold. I've also managed to dodge the COVID thus far, and I've I've been like you too, Nick, where it's like I I get sick or I have one time I like spent the day with my girlfriend and then the next day she tested positive, and then like. You know, all of my, I had like a sore throat and all of my tests were negative and I just like didn't believe it. So I kept, I just like took one like every day for like three days, but turns out it wasn't COVID. It was just mold in my, uh, in my, uh, air purifier that was making me sick. So, yeah. Oh, oh rough. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great. He says like, like that's a sentence you hear every day. Yeah. I just had mold in my air purifier, you know, the huge. It's great. <laughs> Had a good time. <laughs> well, um, speaking of uh, d- disgusting things feeding on the dead, we've got uh, Living End taking over our uh, modern yeah. meta, <laughs> Go, trying to make a transition here. I don't know how to I do that. Smooth. that seamless. Absolute, <laughs> absolutely seamless. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we had three three living end uh, lists within that that modern showcase that happened since last time we record, and uh, also you know lots of living end uh, appearing in like leagues and other things as people um, are trying the deck more. I think uh, I think I said last time we we recorded that I felt like uh, that living end was one of the like more slept on better decks of the meta, and I I. I think that people are finally starting to realize just how absolutely good it is because like it yes it's a combo deck and yes you can hate against it but if you don't if you run just like a few hate pieces they've got like you know their force of negations and their griefs and stuff and they they also have things like uh the turtle or the brazen borrower to like fight through a lot of different uh types of hate so i think it's a very powerful uh and resilient deck that uh i would expect to people uh to see a lot more of and you really want to be prepared for uh when you're playing modern right now mm-hmm, absolutely you, you must have a plan when you face this deck it's just too resilient 
uh, too powerful. And I mean, it, they have disruption. They can fight through hate, and they also have their, you know, the backup plan, the plan B of just casting, you know, their four mana creatures and just killing you with a bunch of turtles. Yeah, I've, I think, I've, I think people fail to appreciate. Yeah, I've died to that plan more times than I'm proud to 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 say. Uh, I've been many a victim of the just four mana curator of miseries and just take the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, also, uh, like, they can chain subtleties together. Like, they'll resolve a curator of mystery, and then it's like, okay, well, can I primeval titan? Okay, subtlety. Okay, next turn, can I primeval titan? Okay, well, second subtlety. And all of a sudden, you know, you're taking four from the curator, then you're taking seven from the curator and the subtlety, and all of a sudden, you're just basically, you're just, the game's over. Yeah. I think this is an example of just the, the more cards that are printed the more efficient the stack is going to become because like eventually we're just going to have enough amazing cyclers that are good on their own that also slot well into the living and plant i mean you know grief and curator mysteries and like a, like a, a lot of the cards in this deck did not exist when the deck was first made like many 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 years ago and it just you know every every set the more cards that are printed it just gets slightly more efficient picks up a tool here or there and, uh, you know, now here we are. I think, you know, the fact that they have Grief, but also the fact that they have Oseju and Ottawara, now that they have the Spelllands, they just have even more ways to, like, interact and pretend to have inter an interactive game plan in addition to their combo. Yeah. Yeah, t totally agree. Like, uh, I believe there was five? Five Living End players in the top 32? Yeah. Five living end players in the top thirty-two with three in the top eight. Like, that's that's really strong. And the way the the interesting thing is just there are still a lot of avenues to to build a deck and explore. For example, one of the people that I've been talking to the most is RVNG, uh, who top aided the the showcase, and he's playing, for example, a completely different style of living end, where he is not focused around grief. He's just not interested in that. And he plays better cyclers for the mirror. He plays Windcaller Raven uh, because he notices that a lot of the mirror matches are just decided via combat and just swinging with unblockable creatures. And the fact that you have four extra cyclers that fly just gives you the upper hand. Like, it's, it's really masterful, like... It, there's still a lot of like different avenues to take the deck w with and also you you just get i think the biggest boost the deck got was just the 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 um, the channel lands like Ottawara and Bazeju do so much heavy yeah i think especially Ottawara being an uncounterable way to answer to fairy is just absolutely huge for the deck uh one thing i kind of want to jump back to is something that andy was saying about how when this f deck first existed so many of the cards that um that are now in the deck did not did not exist like the idea and the strategy has existed but as more and more cards get printed it just gets better and better and better over time and i guess one thing i would ask and I, i'd like to hear both your thoughts on this is do you think this deck is like ultimately in the long term like doomed 
for some sort of banning. Uh, the reason I say that is because, uh, like, there's always going to continue to be cards printed that improve this deck, right? And so as time goes on, it's only possibly going to get better and more resilient and more powerful. Or do you think the rest of the meta, do you think, will be able to keep up with the pace at which it improves? Uh, I think it's not so much as... Uh... The, I I don't think it's much as the meta, uh, sort of improving to adapt it. It's just that bar another cascade effect on instant speed, I really don't see any improvements that the deck can have. So, uh, let me put it this way: I don't think the rate of one mana cyclers will improve. Uh, I mean, I feel like it can, but. Wizards has to try really hard for that to happen, for that fuck-up to happen. And it never really came down to the, like, obviously some of the cyclers are just amazing, amazing, right? Like, the 5-5 the five, five Hexproof is amazing, Waker of Waves is also really good. Uh, what we see here is sort of, like, the impact that the Evoke Elementals had on on the on the format as a whole and i think it ended up so the reason why living end exists right now is mostly because of i i i'd say shardless agent like first and foremost the deck would not be competitive i think if it didn't have another cascade that's on curve and on better colors uh and then you just have like the the, the evoke elementals that we can all agree that they are busted each and each and every one of them is busted in their own little small way uh, in uses. So I think for Living End, for the meta to not uh, adapt to Living End means that either obviously the Evoke Elementals are at fault or something's gone like terribly, terribly wrong with the format. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Evoke Elementals have definitely been a huge huge impact on the format and living end is probably uh the deck that has the greatest density of evoke elementals that it's using effectively because it's using uh grief uh subtlety and endurance all within the 75 uh whereas you know probably the next deck playing the most evoke elementals would be like the the four color yorion decks which are are just on um solitude and and fury most of the time and maybe sometimes subtlety and endurance as well but like also they're 80 card decks and they're not running like four copies of everything so it's like you know i we can definitely see that the evoke elementals are making a huge splash on the meta and i think living end is a, is a big example of that to kind of answer the, the original question i think it it would take a very long time for this to get so good that it that it gets banned. Um, you know, I think the hate is effective enough to the point where you can hate it out and then also have a better game plan than their their ways to fight back. Um, you know, there there will always be extremely powerful hate pieces for both things that want to cascade and decks that want to use the graveyard, and their plan B. Uh, and their ways to fight through that hate, even though 
it's good and it will beat a lot of decks. I don't think it'll beat all of the other decks that are trying to beat that. Um, I kind of want to talk about, like, because I, I think historically this has been kind of a tough matchup for uh, Amulet. And so I kind of want to talk talk with you too about kind of what are ways that we approach the, the matchup when we're playing, you know, our, our primeval titans. I, I think one of the strongest pieces for me in winning this matchup is uh, the discard phase. Like, I very, very often will play a land on turn one, play a bounce land on turn two on the draw, and then just discard a primeval titan. And, like, that's that's huge in a lot of the time because they just... Uh, then they can't really living end for quite a while usually because like whatever they're bringing in is not as good as bringing the primeval titan for me or will not be able to beat you know the fact that i'm getting a primeval titan out um or cultivator colossus uh i also think uh i mean you have to be careful with that plan because you know sometimes they will be bringing endurances and stuff and it only works on the draw and it only works if you have a seven card hand and it only works if they don't grief you so it's not like something you do all the time but i think it's a play that i think you should always be conscious of and like being taken taking advantage of it a lot and then i think the biggest as far as cards that are big in the matchup i mean just the more endurances you run in the 75 the the better you're going to be against living end is basically i think what it comes down to yeah i've been i've been having a different approach actually uh most of my latest leagues and sort of tuning and testing has been with karn and against living end specifically i've really enjoyed playing relics instead of endurance uh to the point that i believe my last list played zero endurances in the 75 uh just uh because i feel that in in a matchup where they're already forced to sort of overboard in a way uh because they're bringing in force of vigors they might bring in foundation breakers but one thing that they're definitely going to bring in is subtlety which lines up horribly against against endurance and obviously there's a scenario where Yes, they can subtlety your endurance, but they won't subtlety your titan. But since Force of Negation is overall kind of a weak card against uh, Amulet from the Living End side, and it is a card that they would side out quite a fair amount uh, from from what I've talked to to Living End players, I think a timely relic as early as possible. Uh, it, it does so much uh, for you in the, in the matchup, as well as not leaving you, for example, stranded on obligatorily having to have two green mana up at any given point, or having a hand that has to be green card dense enough to be able to evoke it. So I've, I've enjoyed the, the Relic. And because I've enjoyed Relic, particularly in post-cyborg games, I don't go the route of discarding my own Titan as much as I did in the past, because it, it's obviously, it, it goes against my main cyborg plan. It's interesting. I mean, uh, I definitely take the point about uh, 
subtlety, you know, on endurance being quite good. Uh, I think I'm less worried about, like, having to exile, like, even if I'm putting myself empty-handed by, like, uh, evoking the endurance, I'm still at least getting the 3-4 and, and mostly slowing them down enough. I, I can't imagine a world in which I wouldn't want at least one endurance in the sideboard to be able to summoners packed for against Living End, because I think the fact of the play of even if you're tapped out summoners packed for an endurance evoke the endurance exiling whatever and then like pay for it on pay for the pact on your next upkeep uh i think is is really huge yeah but um, that lines up so poorly on the draw that's the issue like sometimes you're, you're just not gonna have mana for that pact you know like that's been my main issue with the endurance i would say Right, but I, I'm just saying that I think the upside of the first one is, like, as as a pack target is so so high. Um, and, like, yeah, and, and not every game is on the draw uh, either. I also think there's a lot of, like, you sort of do things with, like, Bajuka Bog and, like, Karn for Tormod's Crypt, which, like, don't necessarily, like, always stop them in a sort of permanent fashion but just sort of different ways of of messing with their game plan uh just like long enough to to you know get you to where you need to be has has been a big thing for me andy what about you what 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 are your thoughts about how you've been approaching this matchup so i really like having karn when things like living end are good just having access to tormod script Game one, I'm also a big Bajuka Bog lover, so I, I generally have it in my main deck, which obviously it is not the, you know, it's not going to shut them out and it's not going to save the matchup, but it will let you win game ones that you might have otherwise lost. Um, I did play in the last league I played against, though, I was on the draw and my opponent led on Botanical Sanctum. And I just thought, yep, I drew my card, went to my. I didn't have a, the Bounce Land, but I had a bunch of like. Uh, I had like Urza Saga Amulet, Explore. You know, I had like good stuff, but no Bounce Land. And so I just went straight to my discard step, you know, bin the Primeval Titan and said go. And like they were not, they were not able to beat that because it, you know, got to a point where. They have to build up such a powerful graveyard in order to overcome me getting a Primeval Titan back that I was actually able to just land a normal Primeval Titan pretty early and bog them, at which point they had to then force them to cast the Living End into a graveyard that wasn't good enough to beat my other Primeval Titan coming into play, also with an amulet in play, also even with the, the triggers on the stack from my first amulet, like those lands hadn't untapped. So then I just got so much mana that I just killed them. Um, you know, and I, I've definitely... This, it's a matchup where there's a lot of kind of tricky little things you can do that are usually pretty suboptimal, but like in those niche corner scenarios, sometimes it's exactly what you need. Like, you know, I, I've... Maybe later in the game, they grief you and you cast the Summoner's Pact and you grab a Primeval Titans, and then that way you show them a hand of two Primeval Titans and no other targets for grief. Right, and then in your upkeep, you just pay for the pack, and now you have a Titan in the yard, you have a Titan in the hand, and uh, but like, I also generally am packing a lot of endurances. Generally, I just I like the card a lot. So between you know Bog in the main deck, and you know higher likelihood that I'm playing Karn, 
and also a lot of endurances post board. Uh, I find that I'm I'm not as scared of this matchup as I used to be. Where it used to be like I would see if they're playing living in in my head, I would just be like, oh god, like gonna lose this one. Where now I feel like I have uh, some, like an actual actual play to it, especially considering that we're playing Graft Digger's Cage in our cardboard right now, just because of Yogg is so popular. And also the fact that it also hits Living End, so I'm just like, I feel uh, like, uh, I feel like uh, I'm 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 gonna stop you right there. Yeah, no. Oh my God, it doesn't. You're right. It's it doesn't. really bad against Living End, because I let me tell you how yeah, I found out. Actually... It's fine. I find I found out about this recently, because every single week, nonstop, I am in a I'm in a Brazilian WhatsApp group of really good MTGO players mm -hmm. uh, and one of them is RVNG and every single like three or four days without fail someone plays turn one graph diggers cage and he just <laughs> screenshots it puts it in the group and says we got another one boys like every single time without without fail yeah that that would be I mean, me I'll admit it this is the thing, though. Graft Digger's Cage should stop Living End, right? It's casting a card from its library, and it's putting in stuff from its graveyard. But it does it because it says, okay, well, we're going to put things into exile from our library before we cast it, and then we're going to put the stuff in our graveyard into exile before we put it into play, which, like, so just, like, through this weird, like, weird, weird, just like way that everything works just completely avoids the the card that is designed to stop the exact thing it's doing <laughs> yeah no, so I've, I've actually it's really good against dredge actually, it's really bad against living it i've never really i don't think i've actually ever registered cage in modern i played a lot in legacy but i'm usually thinking of like green sun zenith and like dark amoebas mm -hmm. and icarids I've been playing a lot of Yawgmoth, so my first time playing uh, against a Grafdigger Skage was an experience. Let me just say I, I stone rained myself at least two or three times because I'm like, okay, I've, they've got a Grafdigger Skage, so I gotta put some clock in, fetch for Dryad Arbor. Uh. <laughs> Guess I just stone rained myself. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> We're off to the next one. Well, I, I mean, I really like Grafdigger's Cage, you know, as a way to fight Yogg specifically because I think uh, the number one problem with Yogg, I think generally speaking, is like Magus of the Moon. But it's like, it's really hard for Yogg to actually get a Magus of the Moon out, like, if you play Grafdigger's Cage, because then they have to, like, both draw the Magus and have the red mana right and so you're preemptively stopping the magus that way uh because like most of the time they're not drawing the magus they're eldritch evolutioning into the magus and then on top of that like you're shutting down the entire deck like you're shutting down the undying creatures you're shutting down the eldritch evolution you're shutting down the court of calling uh and like the only answer is the outland liberator and they can't even search for it, you know. So, yeah. Uh, feels like I've been I've been playing that matchup a lot from the Yawk side, and so far I've been uh, undefeated against Sidon. And I don't play Magus, and I think Magus is an absolute trap in in Yawgmoth. 
I think the card is god-awful. I think, I think you can definitely manage the Titan matchup without it, particularly with Hapatra, which is like the stone-cold nuts against Titan, I've felt. Uh, and Magus just hurts you a lot of the time. And I did face um, a Titan opponent that went game one, Karn uh, into Grafdigger's Cage, that I was able to beat. Uh, just they, they just drew that, a ton of amulets. I killed the Karn with a Grist, and then I just ulted the Grist. You know, like, I got there, but it definitely just put a wrench in my plan. But I, I, that's just like a, a little side note on, I, I absolutely detest Magus of the Moon in Yogg lists. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, uh, I feel like for me, as far as the, I think Magus improves the amulet matchup. I, I don't think that you would are probably argue that having a Magus in the 75 doesn't improve the amulet matchup. I guess it's just the question of how much does it improve it and how much is that worth of a sideboard slot for basically that one matchup? I, I think it improves the Titan matchup because people aren't playing Hapatra. Like, mm -hmm. so yeah, it does improve the Titan matchup, but you could be playing better tools that don't fuck you over just as well, you know? I, I think that's sort of the scenario. It's it's much better of like a hammer card against Titan. You're probably going to win that game on the back of the 2-2 alone. But if the legitimately if the Titan opponent deploys a dryad, that plan can quickly go out the window. And you just have no follow back. Like no you always need to have the turn three magus into a cord. And having a cord means having enough green creatures on the board. And that's not always a guarantee. And uh, uh, that's why I've not been enjoying... I, I was never really a Magus enjoyer in the deck. But I do agree, it's obviously great against Amulet. But you, you, can, you can get by with other tools, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have lost games to Habatra for sure I mean like the ability to sort of wipe the board and then untap with a full grip of cards and and combo off is pretty is pretty powerful but I think you know I mean personally I'm always going to be more afraid of Magus than anything else that that Yogg is doing I don't know how, to how totally you feel about totally it, defensible totally defensible but it, it again if you're if your answer to hate is this member, I think they both lead to the same scenario, right? Mm -hmm. So you either dismember the the Magus or you dismember the Hapatra or the or the Yogmit combo. Like it, it's it it's sort of they both end up accidentally lining lining up against the answers that Amula presents. Mm. I'll say I feel like maybe maybe we should segue to a new topic. Which is, I think this would be a smooth. We could we could start talking about Karn and Karn things because we all we all have recently registered Karn, and it's not it's not every day that we all we all agree on on when we should be playing Karn or not playing Karn. So I think I think it would be maybe a good time to start talking about how we why we like Karn when we when we like Karn, why we don't when we don't, and kind of how we approach maybe building some Karn builds. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, 
I think it's kind of uh it's kind of funny because like uh the big the big deck of the meta right now is is Merktide and it Karn's not good there. But I also feel like it's just good basically everywhere else. Also not burn, but um I really feel like it's good. I mean it absolutely destroys uh, the hammer matchup, I think it gives you so much more play against uh, Yawgmoth with giving access to things like Needle and Cage. Uh, I think it's really good against Living End, getting access to Tormod's Crypt. Uh, I think it's really good against uh, just like I, all the sort of random hate that exists right now. Like since Luris disappeared, there's so much more magus of the moons there's so many more blood moons there's so many more ashiox there's so many more uh damping spheres that i mean i guess damping sphere was playable under lures but like i i guess like the point i'm just making is just i think that the amount of amulet hate cards have gone up and i don't think that there's any card that really like plays through the hate like karn and i think that's why i like karn in particular yeah, I, I just play Karn when I don't know, uh, when I haven't solved or when I haven't found what works for me best. So, Streets of New Capenna just hit. Uh, I tried out some things that I might have been interested in. I tried out Titan of Industry, it sucked. I uh, tried out the White Splash, I was happy. Uh, but then, like, I took a hiatus because I didn't have my PC, so... The only magic I played was uh, in paper. So without Eladombri's calls in paper, I was like, okay, what can I, what can I cook up? And whenever I'm like at a loss of what the meta is, I like to go with Karn. Um, but I, I'd say almost for the opposite reasons as, as Pond said, which is interesting. Um, for example, the hammer matchup, I felt like since Bazeju, you, you are already a, a huge favorite against Hammer, with or without Karn, I would say. Uh, it obviously improves the matchup somewhat. I, I wouldn't say somewhat. It improves the matchup, yes. But I, I don't think it was a bad matchup to start. Um, I think, I think yeah, it's bad against Murktide, but so is the rest of your deck, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I'll, I, I'll, I'll accept that. It... Karn is, it's, it's a bit of a weird one because it lines up awkwardly. It's, it lines up well against Living End, but in my opinion, it sort of lines up poorly against Rhinos. Uh, so it's kind of a, a give or take when it comes to the Cascade matchups, uh, from, from my experience at least. I also think Karn is uh, pretty lousy in the mirror uh, compared to... To other two other things you might be might be interested more interested in doing uh i remember i actively cut out karns in the mirror for force of vigors and and whatnot i do think it, like punt said it is a very good game one card uh, it's an extremely powerful tool for amulet to have but that is why i play it right now because i'm i'm still a bit of a, at a loss on how to approach amulet right now that I'll take having the extra coverage for game one uh, that I think that's uh, enough of a factor for me. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, maybe something that you were kind of getting at there is I think it's a pretty open 
meta, right? Like, there's not any best deck in the meta. Like, the only deck that can really make an argument, I think, or I would say the two decks that can make an argument for best deck are Four Color Yorian and Murktide, are, like, the two decks that can make an argument for best deck. And we're talking about a very efficient just two very efficient mid-range decks right like that's that's and and there's no like busted deck or anything so everybody's just playing everything and i think like when you're in a very i i especially like karn anytime there is a like wide wide open meta like when i you know the the ptq that i i did that that got me uh qualified for capenna when i was during the turn timber list I was expecting, like, I was expecting, like, Death Shadow and Hammer were, like, the biggest things I was expecting. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to put four Besejus in my 75. I'm going to put four, uh, I'm going to put four Force of Vigors in my 75. I'm going to tune my, you know, main deck as much as I possibly can with turn timbers and stuff to beat, like, the discard and the death shadow. And it's like, when you're targeting a deck, right, like, that's a good time where you can build lists, where you can really, like, have those transformational sideboard plans or other things to target every, like, few decks in the format. But when you're just trying to have good cards that are just good against the, you know, 15 different decks that you're going to face in a modern event that is 15 rounds, like, then I think Karn is great. Yeah. Uh, I think ideally... So, it's interesting because I would say that ideally, even though I feel... I have the feeling that most of my results were with Karn, ideally, I would never touch Karn again. In the sense that I feel that the best a meta uh, so as a meta game crystallizes i feel that amulet is at its best when it's using the 15 and the cyborg as as well as possible and even in those <laughs> open open meta game type scenarios i strongly like having for example the reach that and here i am simping again for tireless tracker but cards like tireless tracker cards like dismember cards like uh, a, a high number of relics, uh, ideas like five cyborg lands, if need be, uh, uh, car ideas like multiple trackers and multiple endurances for your high, uh, high count turn timber symbiosis lists. Uh, I feel like that's where me, me personally at least, can really shine because I feel like I have a better grasp of my 75 as much as possible and uh i'm able to approach each matchup in its own way i'm not sure if i'm making sense here but it's i don't think that there's any better way of expressing it like this I don't no know. <laughs> I, I i totally agree with you like i find a lot of times this the thing because i i will naturally gravitate to car and i just like the card so much but I find that the thing that will persuade me to stop playing Karn, it's, it's like it's like two steps. Like one, I, I'll start to ask myself when I have a Karn in play, I'll ask myself, how rewarded am, am I for having this Karn in play? And when the field is like, you know, Living End and a lot of the artifact decks that like did well in, in the showcase and like Hammer and just miscellaneous mid-range decks, I can go, okay, I'm being very rewarded for this Karn. I want to keep it. But against a lot of like, if I'm, 
just going to play against a Murktide and like Death Shadow all day long, then I'm not, I'm not in love with it, right? And then the next phase, the next like iteration, the next question I ask is, how badly do I need all of these extra sideboard cards? Like how how important is it that I have access to the dismembers? How important is it that I have access to the trackers if I want them? How important is it? Do I have access to all of these like miscellaneous tools that I need to cover these these matchups? And I I always try and cheat. Like I'm always just trying to take any land that would go into my sideboard and finding a way to bastardize my mana base to make it fit. You know, it's like why my Vegas list had like no castles. It's because it's like I there's you know I can't put these bogs in the board because that's where my good sideboard cards live. <laughs> like I you know, and so I I'm always like trying to jam the 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 greediest deck that I can. Uh, but yeah, kind of kind of like what you were saying, Moniz, is is when I find myself needing a like I really need a 15 card sideboard and I need to have specific cards for all of these decks. That that will usually pull me away from cards. Also, I feel like Punt might be the closest uh, to get there out of the three of us, but I still feel like the biggest issue with the Karn deck is how you're sideboarding and approaching sideboarding when Karn sucks. And uh, I, I mean, as someone that played the last challenge and I believe cut Karn in seven rounds. I want to say living in included as well. Uh, again, maybe I'm doing something wrong. It's highly likely. I've, I've been extremely rusty, and I count on fixing that. Uh, like, at, at one point, I was... At one point during the tournament, even on 4-0, I was like, why am I playing Karn again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it just feels like again it feels like a really good game one card and then it just gets cut and then you're looking at like at least three to four cards in your sideboard thinking yeah i'm i'm playing with 11 cards now and uh yeah it's it's funny that you keep calling it a game one card because like to me karn is the sideboard card that you main deck right it is an amazing game two and three card for me because it's not that I'm bringing in Karn. It's not like I want to have Karn in against people necessarily to beat what they're doing. I want Karn in games two and three because what has every deck forever done against Amulet? What has happened every time you have ever played every Amulet matchup is people completely destroy their main game plan and bring in all these hate pieces against you. Like that's what every deck does against amulet is they bring in a bunch of hate pieces and they hurt their main game plan and it's like yeah those things stop me from primeval tightening but you know what they don't stop me from doing is just casting a karn and winning with karn and it's like if you've diluted your own deck so much to the point that like if you've diluted your deck so much that like uh, just to be able to play all these hate pieces, then Karn's going to win the game. And if you haven't diluted your deck to play these hate pieces, then I'll just kill you with Primeval Titan, right? <laughs> like, because then the deck just... then I'm, if, if you're not bringing in the hate, then just Amulet, Titan is going to kill you. Yeah, so uh, it, it's, it's interesting. But it, again, uh, I, I remember the... So obviously, I... I kind of have to touch on my influences here 
because obviously I started playing Amulet with with Fran and I and I remember perf I remember vividly watching on stream you uh, qualify with uh, Lotus Bloom Hive Mind Amulet and uh, starting playing Amulet from there from there. But one of my biggest level up moments was uh, working with uh, people that were definitely smarter than me, even though they didn't really focus on Amulet a lot. And one of them was EDB, which is uh, Eduardo Borjo, who is still a player that I tremendously admire. And uh, one of the main points that he touched on is, like, there are a lot of really good cyborg cards that just Amulet does not play that end up circumventing the hate. Uh, and uh, again, one of them, for example, if you're playing against Ponza, like, or something of the like, or a deck that will bring in Blood Moon, for example, like, Karn is gonna be really good against him, against uh, the Blood Moon. But so will, for example, if you can land it early, or if you can sandbag a forest, so will, for example, a Tireless Tracker. Mm -hmm. They can absolutely steal the game against those types of decks. And Tireless Tracker also serves double duty in sideboarding as well. Uh, against four color control, you might be interested in them. You might be interested in them against Shadow. And sometimes those matches don't necessarily overlap with uh, the matches where you want Karn. You don't want Karn against Shadow, but you might want Karn against four color. So ideally, I would say the best 15-card cyborg that Amulet can play is one that doesn't have Karn, and every single card has uses against multiple different decks. And it got to a point where I was playing like four cyborg dismembers because I was so confident in the 11 cards in my cyborg that I wanted those four for the off chance that I would face like Storm or Devoted Druid mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. some deck like that. That obviously Karn does help like, against those decks, but it, it, it's still, I, I feel like the um, uh, narrowing down your plan of attack as much as possible is, is really good, is, is really good for, for Titan. And I, I would, I'm going to entertain and sort of flirt with the idea of like building full four explorers, full four turn timber lists. Uh, right now uh, without Karn, because I feel like that's one of the, I, I would say, most linear ways of playing your, your game one, and then just trying to have as many, as many good options for sideboarding game, games two and three. But then again, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, and I, I do feel it's more of a mentality approach on, on, on the deck building and sideboarding of it. Uh, and it is something that I deeply respect in, uh, in you and most Amulet pilots that, that I know. And yeah, that's... Can, can, uh, I, can, we, honestly, can we take a moment to, to talk about your specific card list? Because I saw you post it and I, it like just re like your list just bothers me so much in so many ways. And, and like hearing you talk about how you approach Karn and think about Amulet, like, and then looking at this list, like, I can just absolutely see this conflict playing out. Like, like, you know, like, you probably don't want Karn if you have, like, three relics, because then when you want the relics, you're just probably going to pull the Karns out for the relic or maybe leave some amount of Karns in. So you, and it's just, like, this weird tension point when the thing about Karn is, that, like, it lets you play one relic and then play, like, two Endurance, right? 
and then like you also had the 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 turn timber symbiosis. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go on on a rant here of, of things that I just didn't that just that just irked me. Uh, the the turn timber symbiosis with with four Karns and the only one Colossus, and then um, the you know I I can forgive the main deck relic with Karn, uh, but like you know again you just have like three relics in the board and then the Tormod script and then the the one relic in the main deck and it's I'm just thinking like you're just getting really really uh clogged up like you're just clogging also, your sideboard where, where are your explorers there are no explorers in this list no explorers yeah no you know the two explorer yeah, no. meme i'm playing no explorers yeah i can i can get behind no explorers if you're playing the second azusa because the second azusa like just makes your card starts like you can go amulet bounce land azusa karn on turn like it you know it lets you play turn two karn pretty consistently if you have the azusa but like you don't even have the second azusa man you got no explorers, no Azusa. Yeah, so no explorers, I, no Azusa. I, I cut the two explorers because I wanted main deck interaction to, to Living End, and I wanted the one of Relic. And uh, the other slot that usually goes for the second explorer, I went for the Cultivator. Uh, mm -hmm. So as far as the mana base, so uh, the turn timber, I agree, it does feel off. Uh, I'll just say that I just wanted a 10th untapped green source. Uh, my baseline for playability in my mana bases is 10 green sources on turn one mm -hmm. and i'm like ah fuck it i'll just put a turn timber it could be a fetch land it could be anything like i just decided to play turn timber mm -hmm. uh, there's no there's no like uh reasoning and math behind it it just i wanted a 10th source might as well be a turn timber uh as far as the mm -hmm. sideboard so uh again this was a sideboard sort of made uh like 35 i want to say 35 minutes 40 minutes before the before the event and i just knew i wanted multiple ways of interacting multiple cards to interact with living end and uh my first idea against living end was bringing in all relics and keeping cards uh but then as i was in i believe the first match against uh i only played against living end once i I believe, and it was in round. I did this in game two against Screenwriter New York, where I did, ended up not cutting the Karns, and I just went, uh, I brought in two relics. Uh, no, I brought in three relics. Against Living End, I brought in three relics, and I cut out uh, one Karn, uh, one Pact, one Colossus, I wanna say which is, again, it was done sort of under pressure. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I didn't really consider a lot, of, a lot in mapping. Uh, and then after, after the event, and as I noticed that there was like obviously some tension in, in how I had built that list in the same tweet I published, uh, uh, what I would play mm -hmm. if I, I had more time and knowing what I know now, and again, you'll see like no Karn, cut the turn timber, uh, uh, playing more, uh, focusing on the tracker plan and the cyborg with two explorers in the main deck. So it, it ended up sort of re resolving itself. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So to me, uh, I think in my head, there's sort of, I, I, I in my head always have like sort of three different ways i want to build amulet and there's 
I, I don't like doing anything that's sort of like halfway between one of those ways. And like, I, I want to figure out which one of the three is the best and, and just go to that one. And the three in my mind are Karn, uh, Mono Green with a Turn Timber sub-theme, and Green White Eladomri's Call. And I think if you're going either the mono green with a turn timber sub theme or Karn, you really want explore because like explore and turn two into Karn on turn three is really, really important for like winning games, especially like on when you're mulliganed low. Like if you're on a five card hand, sometimes like turn two explore into turn three Karn is like the way you get yourself back into the game. Um, but then like, and I really like in like the mono green versions, I really like Explore just because of how much it sets up for like Cultivator Colossus. And I feel like if you're doing turn timbers, which I think you should be in the mono green, then you you want to be on at least two Cultivator Colossus, which makes me like want to have Explores. But then like, I think if you're doing like a green white, so like a white splash with Eladomri's call, it allows you to sort of have that extra threat density, but also be able to afford just having the one cultivator colossus which i think is really a uh like a very nice thing because then you can cut out explorers and i've even gone up in, so in my green white lists i generally do like three azusas and no explorers and just focus on being as explosive as possible and eladomri's call i'm having as often as possible amulet into fast ramp into primeval titan like it's just doing that plan as consistently as possible while also having access to cool sideboard cards like rest in peace and cool options like main deck endurance that you can eladomri's call for so i think it's like to me this list feels like halfway in between that like karn plan and that like mono green cultivator colossus plan and i think you're better served by like going either way because i think once you once you pick the camp once you once you decide the type of amulet deck that you're going to build you can focus every card in your deck on on meeting the requirements of that build rather than sort of this sort of haphazard mix of cards which don't necessarily like you put a turn timber symbiosis next to a karn you know it doesn't look great you put a carns and cultivator colossus in the list with no explorers it you you feel the tension and and i just like i like figuring out the plan of my deck and just put everything into that that one plan more which like is weird because it, it can mean like you from one week to the next you know i might play an amulet list one week and my amulet list the next week might be 20 cards different in the 75 or more and it, which is wild but I don't think that that is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think it just represents how much like the core of this deck is like powerful at adapting to whatever you want to be doing in the current meta. Yeah, uh, like I said, I feel like your your description and criticism of the of the build really reflected like how I went into the tournament. Like, I'm gonna play Karn because I'm like sort of blind on how how to approach uh amulet since it's been a while uh let's just uh dive in with karn and just play cards i like dot deck which uh definitely it, it, again like i said i detested the list i i i even i 
pretty sure I used the word like detested in the in the tweet because I just I wasn't a fan of how it worked. Uh, but there's sort of a, an interesting correlation that you said about uh, explore that I've been finding, and as I as I've played uh, a lot of Amulet, I tend to notice that uh, I very very rarely build Amulet. Uh, thinking I'm gonna play Karn, or I'm gonna play Green-White, or I'm gonna play Mono-Green. I always look at Karn, as, uh, I, I always look at Amulet as a 33-piece puzzle that I have to solve, and then I'll go to the 27 Mon land cards of the deck. So the way I approach it is always and it's usually very, I have like my own, um, I'm forgetting the word, uh, my own heuristics when it comes to deck building and mana building mostly. And for example, the reason why I've been trimming on Explorers is that I have been low on castle. And I can't really explain that to a normal amulet, a normal amulet player because they're like, those two cards are not connected whatsoever. Why are you low on castle if you're... So how can you be high on one, low on one because you're low on the other? Like, people don't realize, like, how much better Explorer is in castle lists. Like, it is a huge boon. Like, being able to just go uh, land, any, any land, into untapped green, explore, castle. If you draw an amulet... Amulet, then you have Titan without the need of Saga. If you draw Grazer, Grazer, and then whatever untap source you have is a Titan. Um, and to me, for the most part, going blind, uh, I love playing lists with four explorers, but I can never really crack the mana base. And because I don't crack the mana base, usually my my resource to that is I'm just not going to play them. I'm not going to touch them with a 10-feet pole. I'm just going to get rid of them. And again, uh, I feel like I have to rebrand the deck in a way that fits what I like. And what I like above all is uh, just the cleanest mana base possible, the cleanest main deck possible and then whatever cyborg adapts to the 75. Because I feel like ideally, your 60 should be immovable, whatever the metagame. Because we've reached the point of crystallization in the deck where the, the deck score is just so good that it, there's really not much other than, like you said, completely reinventing the shell in 20 different cards. If you're not doing that, you're only going to be like one to two cards different from like what a stock, let's say, 60 should be. So I feel like this hearing you say that just makes so much sense, especially when I look at, at the way you build decks. Because like I, whenever, uh, whenever I've gone way too deep or way too off the tracks and I need to have some sanity in my mana base again, I always just go, I always just find one of your mana bases and then take it and then wreck it just a little bit so it's playable for me um but i feel like we we kind of have like i feel like three points on the triangle with how we approach amulet where i feel like moniz and this is this is a pretty popular way to approach i think they're all equally valid uh maybe with mine being 
perhaps the less valid, like the least valid, which is I feel like Moniz is always just trying to have the most efficient, streamlined game plan that operates as smoothly as possible, uh, no matter in what what situation he's put in. And I feel like Nick is. Which let like me Nick. let me just let me just add a touch, which mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that, for example, Punt's way isn't just as valid. It, it just takes another avenue with like different cards and different card selection. And I, I feel like uh, you know Nick is like. He will try and find out which of the various plans Titan can execute he wants to do, and then he will try and maximize that plan. And then me, I am just trying to do everything with the with without being streamlined. Like I will just try and play the clunkiest piece of shit that has ultimate power in it. Like it does everything except like you know it's 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 like the mana isn't streamlined and it plays really awkwardly. But I, I just like registered anywhere, and I, I just dared the universe to try and punish me. <laughs> you know. Well, then, do I have a deck list for you? I I was I was gonna say I was just gonna add a little thing. You said that my way of thinking is like uh, what most players would share. Let me tell you, like there are a lot of lists that I go through, and I randomly get DMs of people like, "Look at my list," and I'm like, "Wow, this mana base has everything." Like, I'm genuinely surprised. And then I look at, like, seven untapped green sources, and I'm like, yeah, out with that. Mm -hmm. Out with that. Like, I, I'm not even touching the rest of the deck. Like, that's how I have grown almost... I have put myself in a sort of narcissistic <laughs> pedestal of, like, I will not tolerate playing less than ten sources. It makes no sense to me, and I'm just throwing my keyboard and just it. it, it I don't know, it, but it, it takes me a while to adapt. I'll I'll give you that. Yeah, I mean, I think what I would say is I think that this sort of the attitude of wrecking the mana base. I think it's more common among amulet players in general, but maybe like less common among like top amulet players like i think for example like you know i've seen people with like in their twitch chat they have like an exclamation mark fran for like you should be running an extra land you know <laughs> like like so i think there's a lot of like top amulet players and i think the thing that separates a lot of top amulet players from a lot of other amulet players is just like playing the lands to cast your spells and like every amulet like every like the average amulet player like takes that and just like wrecks the mana base and then i would say andy like you're the big exception to me because you're like this top level amulet player you're like the only top level amulet player i know that i will regularly like cringe at looking at what you have done to some mana base i i think... I, I would i wouldn't say that i i'll, I'll just say this even though House is not with us anymore in this podcast, I can still shout on him. And the list that he played for the PTQ, I think, that he qualified with, with Amulet, no, the, his Mox list was shambolic. The mana base was awful. He was like, I'm going to play the Swan Songs. And I'm like, okay, how many blue sources have you got? And he's like, I got like nine if you count the Simics. And I'm like, I... I know you're just going to draw the sources, but I hope you lose because of that. You know, like, <laughs> it, it, 
It is. It, you're spitting in my face as we speak. Like fair. If I I had my Discord account hacked, but if I if I didn't, I would have showed you like my reaction was like, bruh, put like two more breeding pools in there. Like I can't take it. Like play one basic if you have to. Like make your spells playable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. So I guess that puts two top level amulet players with with this attitude of just I I I don't know I don't know. Um, but anyway, I I I was kind of trying to segue before because I thought it would be a funny segue. because uh, we, we we had this you brought up this point of I just want to try to do everything, and we had I don't want to spend too long on it. But we had a list uh, from the SCG Con in Pittsburgh that uh, is definitely trying to do everything. So some of the uh, highlights of this list, we have uh, Karn the Great Creator, two copies. We have two Cultivator Colossus. We have a Zakama Primal Calamity. We have uh, two different haste lands, Hanawire and Slayers. Um, and in the sideboard, we have a, uh, a frog hemoth making an appearance. So, uh, definitely a very, uh, a wide, uh, diversity, uh, of threats in this list. And, yep. and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna take an unpopular opinion here, uh, cause, and we were talking about this a little bit before the list, before the podcast, because we were arguing whether we should even talk about this because we didn't want to... I mean, this is a great result, and I think the players should absolutely be extremely proud of their result. Um, and we didn't want to be, like, shitting on someone else's list. I actually like this list, and that's going to sound terrible. I don't like the Zakama, obviously, but, like, I'm looking at the main deck, and of the main deck, there is three cards that I can't get behind. And, like, compared to the average amulet list, I think that that's, like, I think that that's actually considerably above average. Is, like, only three cards that make me, like, I, I wouldn't do that in in the amulet I, main deck. I, I think the two biggest compliments that I can give this list is, one, I think the sideboard is really clean, Froghemoth included. I feel mm -hmm. like it's it's it just fits and the reason why it just fits is because most of the time you're just going to bring in the two explosives you have in the cyborg and you're going to take out the two carns because like it's as simple as that like carn is going to be good when you draw it and it's going to be lousy so you just have to put two cards you don't have to extenuate your cyborg to bring in like four cards uh because you have four carns he's just playing two which sort of actually makes your sideboarding decisions easier but then i look at the mana base and like this is my conflict you know this is what i andy this is my reality this is i i shape uh, this is what i see for example in a mana base i see like three castles with only four forests so that to me is already like a strain in how i expect the castles to etb untapped which is one of the main upsides that i see I do see nine bounce lands, which I prefer to play 10, but I think nine is totally fine. Uh, two TOS, two Valakuts, that's fine. Um, then it, but then it's like eight untapped sources, which is like, I would say like, 
lowest of the lows of the lows that I that I would go, for example. And then obviously like the three years of sagas is kind of weird, but I, I kinda wanted to 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 ask Punt what he likes about this list. Yeah, I'm actually I I mean I this is a paper event and I know budget is a thing for people and like sagas are expensive and sometimes you gotta play the cards you have and I don't think three sagas and may it maybe it was an intentional decision, but I don't think three sagas is like the worst thing ever just because I cut some amount of sagas in in so many matchups due to the hate that like you know it it probably just makes the sideboard mapping easier to be on on three sagas to start. I mean, I think people definitely should be playing for um but I guess I mean if if I was going to like you know, like deck doctor this list or whatever. Like, what, what, what is like the the changes I would make? Is I think the Zakama should be a third Karn. I think that that just makes the list better. I think that the extra haste land should be an extra green source. So probably a forest or a bait uh, or a uh, basic. And I think the second Talaria West should probably be the tenth bounce land. And like I think if you make I think if you make those three changes, I'm completely happy with the rest of the seventy five. I think the sideboards, you know, every card in the sideboard is cool and interesting. And I think especially approaching paper events, I'm I'm more inclined to like something like Outland Liberator where I expect more blood moons just randomly in paper. Um so yeah, I don't hate this list. Like I said, three cards I want to change is like well, well, well below my average. Now, the fact that I dislike this Zakama as strongly as I do, I mean, it kind of feels like you just have a blank there, right? Right now. So that's that's like obviously like the glaring, that's the glaring issue with the deck is it's got this one big, you know, just very bad card but like i mean i don't know you know people have their reasons and i'm i'm not a hundred percent right about everything all the time and people are going to make their own decisions and honestly also magic is a game that you play to have fun and i imagine who you know the person playing this list was probably having a, a pretty good time playing it there's uh it's, I want to I talk about Zakama a little bit because there was a there was a period many many years ago where I played Zakama in my main deck and I stood by it and I actually still stand by it in that meta because it was the meta was like granted this was before fire you know fire design you know gave us what you know gave us real magic cards to play with but there was like a time where the meta on Moto was like Jund humans hardened scales. And Lantern, and I would play uh, Zakama in that meta, and that was like one of the times where I was playing a lot of Moto, and out of all of the Amulet players on Moto, like I, I had hands down the most trophies out of all of them, because like you know back then we didn't have Dryad and Vilecoats to kill Meddling Mages, you know, on our Primeval Titans. You, you sound like a grumpy old man right now. Back in my day, we played Zakama, and we didn't like. <laughs> Yeah, I am a grumpy old man in the magic world. Uh, I do something I, I do like uh, about this list. It's like the minimal card. Like, I like that there's not very many cards, and then the card board is like pretty 
pretty limp. So you're just like, well, I mean, if I draw it, it'll be good. And then if, if I don't draw it, my sideboard isn't really. I would just encourage this player to dream bigger. Like, why is that Bajuka bug in the go sideboard? One card. Like, <laughs> go one go, card. <laughs> like, you've already stretched the mana so far, and you're already, like, just so extreme in your mana. Like, why not cut a castle and just put the bog in the main deck? And then that opens up your sideboard to play something, you know, really... I'm, I'm sure this player could find a creative card to put in that one slot. I also think, uh, you know, I said, you know, if we're doing this minimal card thing, because also, you know, we're not doing liquid metal, liquid metal coating, so I could also see, like, uh, cutting this comma and going, like, an explore... Because Explorer is going to make your Colossus better. Explorer is going to make your Karn better. It's also just going to be like a, a just a genuinely good card. I don't. I. I kind of. I, I kind of hate that the deck with Zakama is not playing coding. Like, <laughs> I think I think that's even more annoying to me. Like you just animating, activating on a creature, three mana, boom, dead. You know, like <laughs> you lose a lot of style points by not playing the coding. Surprisingly. Okay, uh, so we got some other, a, a little bit more normal deck lists uh, to look at as well. Uh, we've had uh, some uh, results within uh, challenges. Uh, we've got a 13th place by uh, Gurig. Uh, oh, this one's actually oh, oh, that the other is not a, a normal weird, list. Other, yeah, that this is one's, not a normal list at all. Yeah, I th there were, I, I had two normal lists and one other weird one, and I clicked on the weird one first. Uh, so this is the one, uh, it's got a Sakura Tribe Elder, an Elvish Rejuvenator, a Fierce Empath, and a Sylvan Scrying. And then it's got a Colony Garden in the mana base. And then it's got a very light, light white splash in, I think, just Kabira Crossroads. Like along with the Four Celestia Sanctuary and the Crumbling Vestige, to try and play Dranith Magistrate in the sideboard. Um, I'm losing my mind right now. <laughs> I'm losing my goddamn mind. Okay, but here's what I'm saying. Like, okay, we the last li list we looked at, I said I took th issue with three cards in the main deck. I think I I take issue with way more cards in this list. Uh, but like, you know. Like, if you look at the mana base, the mana base is actually, like, defensible. So mm -hmm. it has nine untapped sources. It has mm -hmm. a Bajuka Bog. Uh, it plays nine Bounce Lands. It plays four Caverns. Like, it was able to slap four Caverns. It mm -hmm. looks super solid. And then you notice that they're splashing over it with, like, six sources, I want to say. Like... That's insulting. <laughs> See, like, for example, I don't disagree with any of the 33 lands. Mm -hmm. But by playing those two Dranith Magistrates in the sideboard, I disagree with all of them. <laughs> like, if I ever were to play, like, a two-mana card that I want to play on turn two, I would absolutely revamp my mana base, like, play... 12 untapped okay. sources like two i mean cavern cavern is i guess four more sources for the magistrate so that makes it a little bit better oh that is true fuck that is true Ugh, that makes it somewhat better duty, my name and the sylvan scrying and expedition map can also be white sources i i don't know this is a weird list i i i think 
I think it's interesting. I think it's creative. I I don't think I would, I I don't think I would run something like this. But I I I appreciate the the creativity of it. Um, I I appreciate the. I think if you're trying to do this weird splash for Drandith Magistrate, I think the four caverns is kind of like a weird way to kind of like if like do a white splash without actually splashing white lands like just splashing with caverns which are just an actively good card and i think having the four caverns with just like a million creatures like they're not doing any explorers right they're doing like a sakura tribe elder a rejuvenator a fierce empath which is like not necessarily like something i agree with on principle but like uh if you're None expecting of the humans uh, you're for expecting, the dranith uh <laughs> I think if you're I think if you're expecting a huge amount of counter magic in some sort of meta having a mana base that is heavily dependent on cavernous souls and then running as few non-creature cards as possible is like an is like a a nice way to sort of uh approach that. So I mean and there's an Emrakul promised end in the sideboard. So I think Clearly, this person was like very much respecting sort of counterspell control matchups, but yeah, I I don't know. I I think the list is I think the list is weird. I think it's creative. There's things I like. There's things I don't like. Um, I I don't think I would play something like this, but I I really I really appreciate some of the the creativity of this list. Yeah, it's definitely something you don't see every day. I'm. And I'm, I'm going to refrain to just saying that. I just feel like you must feel very strongly about this Magistrate to go this far out of your way to be able to play it. I don't think he feels strong enough. That's the thing. Like, you still don't have enough white sources. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I when I played Rest in Peace, like, I was, I, I was, like, that set on, like, having 12 white sources, you know, like... If I will fuck up the mana base, I will. Like, I remember I played like three fetch lands, two temple gardens, the Kabira, and nine bounce lands. Like, but I do agree that cavern uh, casting it is definitely interesting. I'm, I I didn't notice it at first, but I can definitely see the appeal now. Yeah, it kind of. I I don't know if I would do something exactly like this, but I think in the future. I'm going to keep in the back of my mind the idea of, like, if there's any hate creature I want to, like, splash for, that, like, doing caverns as a way to splash for a hate creature is, like, an interesting uh, thought. And they don't even need to necessarily all four caverns be in the main deck because, you know, if you sideboard the caverns, you can always just bring them in when you're bringing in the hate creature. Uh, so moving on, we've also got some, a little bit older lists. We've got... Um, C. Carlson and Riley DK, uh, both pretty stock-looking uh, amulet lists. Uh, so, uh, you know, things like one to two cultivators, two explorers, uh, you know, just basic ramp, plain primeval titans, mono green. Sideboards are pretty straightforward, just doing things like, you know, good cards like endurance and and dismembers and and things in both um uh yeah i mean like so the c carlson list they got three endurance three force of vigor three engineered explosives which i think is is good just maxing out on like okay 
you're saying I'm gonna target rhinos. I'm rhinos slash uh, you know hammer with the engineered explosives. I'm gonna target living end and probably like other graveyard decks and a little bit like merc tide with the endurance. And I'm gonna target artifact decks and and blood moon with force of vigor and just saying I'm just gonna play a lot of good cards and play a very focused game plan. Uh, I think both these lists are very, uh, very clean. Nothing jumps out to me as um, something I dislike about either of them particularly. Other than the fact they're both sideboarding the Bajuka Bog, I think we're kind of in a main deck Bajuka Bog meta right now. I don't know how you two feel about that. I always feel that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably ask Moniz, yeah, I'm I'm slowly realizing that that's probably the way to go. Yeah. I don't love it. I in fact Pajukabog is one of the lands I hate the most in the mm -hmm. deck in the 75 overall. Like being attacked not green non-green source like ugh, it's Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's a tapped wastes. Yeah. That doesn't kill but the opponent also... unlike Valakut. I mean, it sometimes kills the opponent, let's be fair. Um, but, but yeah, like, I, I'll grow to love it. <laughs> sometimes a tap Bajukabog is the only way to kill your opponent. Yeah, that is true. That is true. That's, I feel, that's very true. I feel like I'm, I'm always going to play a Bajukabog over a main deck Relic, just because Relic isn't a land, and Bajukabog is. I, I, can, I can get behind that. Uh... I mean, I just feel like there's not really a lot of places right now where, like, I mean, there's, like, Rhinos and Yogg and Burn, I guess, and Hammer, but where, like, it doesn't really feel great, but, like, I don't know, against, like, Murktide, it's amazing, against Living End, it's amazing, against any sort of like Tarmogoyf DRC deck, it's amazing. Uh I I just think I mean just Murktide alone is is really i I shouldn't have to say anything beyond Murktide for like we we need the we need the bogs, right? Because it's like it just shuts down the unholy heats, which is like and the, the DRCs and slows down the Murktides, which is, like, so big. It's so huge to be able to have your first Titan get that bog to sh to exile the graveyard so that your second Titan is just completely immune to everything that your opponent's deck can do. Like, a, a Murktide deck cannot beat a resolved Titan without a graveyard. Game one, at least. Yeah. I mean, some lists play main deck dress down, which is like the the ultimate feels bad. But that's like I I feel like Bajukabog. I I do think Bajukabog like gets a lot of points for it against the Murktide matchup. But I, I again like that matchup just seems unsolvable unless you like go super heavy on white and play rest in peace. Like it, it just no matter the number of bogs. I think the matchup is a lot more better than than people give it credit for. It's just like caverns and bogs. Like 
if you're running if you're not running a configuration right now that post sideboard has four caverns and like has a main deck bajuka bog in a meta that is this dense in murktide i i don't understand what you're doing right now like caverns and bogs the amount of of times i've evolved a primeval titan and then still died to like dragon rage channelers and bolts in the air Never again. Oh, this no. will never like a lot of times. This will never happen to me. I will never <laughs> die that way after I evolve resolve a Titan. I I feel like again maybe this is like my obsession with mana bases in general. Like I think a lot of people like give credit on the main deck Bajukabog, but like the the times where yes, sort of need a sixth land and you don't have the amulet and in comes the bog. Like I feel like it's more of a a, a bias that the people just don't tend to notice. So absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, that's why I'm way more. I I don't really like to preach anything that I play as gospel. I, I I fucking hate that. Like because uh I don't know it just works for me. It might not work for you. And I'm always very skeptical when it comes to adding new cards or trying out new cards. Uh, usually what leads me to, like, enthusiastically add new cards is usually when when other people that I respect playing Amulet are that enthusiastic about a card. Which does not make sense if a lot of my followers at least know me because I started just posting meme lists for the most part because I was just trying out shit. And then I ended up out of it growing sort of a very disciplined player i don't know it's weird to to think about now maybe this uh there's one last topic we wanted to talk about and this may be a good segue as long as we're talking about um you know whether to main deck or sideboard utility lands this is one uh utility land that has been seen more and more in sideboards rather than main decks recently is radiant fountain which is not something that uh everybody is doing but i i've seen um very um prominent uh players i think notably mistaken i think uh the online grinder is probably one of the most prominent players who i've seen do this most consistently is just moving the radiant fountain to the sideboard um i think in certain lists it's interesting but i i'm i'm really uh i'm interested to hear your thoughts about uh if you think that's justified in any list or any meta or what what are your feelings i think i think we should we should we should table this because i feel like we're running low on time i gotta go pretty soon and i feel (laughs) i feel like this is going to open up a a big can of worms as because it's going to start us talking about when to sideboard lands and why (laughs) and once we get on that track we're not going to stop and I think we should right. just devote our next episode to talking about what lands we like <laughs> yeah. in the main board versus side and why. And then we can spend an hour and a half, you know, circling around you know, whether circling Bog around. should be in the main deck or Radiant Fountain should be in the sideboard or why we play Crumbling Vestige sometimes and other times we don't, you know. And then me and Moniz can argue about the amount of castles we're going to play. And I think that will just be <laughs> a whole episode all on its own. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea. 
Uh, you know, I was going to say uh, I, I could edit this part out, but I, I kind of like it as a little bit of a spoiler. So uh, for next time, people can uh, people can expect uh, we'll we'll devote our next episode to talking about uh, lands and amulets. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's that's a really interesting topic for us to to get to. Yeah, uh, uh, I could write a Bible about that. This will be about our how most lists tilt me. This will be our longest episode yet, I'm sure. And then we'll be like, if you want to hear 25 minutes about Crumbly Besties, this is the podcast for you. <laughs> I actually we had a we had a Crumbly Besties conversation on the last podcast that I actually edited out just because mm -hmm. it went so long. I'm right? like, I, I can't yeah. have this also, much time crumbly vestige on the... On we the only scratched the surface, Nick. We only scratched the surface. Punt, it's insulting that you called Bajukabog a tapped waste <laughs> when crumbling vestige is quite literally a tapped waste. Crumbling vestige is a basic forest. Okay, I, th I think it this is, is it is a common from Oath of the Gatewatch <laughs> that enters the battlefield tapped and taps for colorless. It is a tapped waste. <laughs> all right, all right. Let, let's wrap this up. Do you two want to uh, do your outros and I'll I'll finish it off? Yep. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J-O-S-M-O-N-I-Z-8. I've been playing uh, a lot of Yawgmoth. I'm going to... Uh, sink my teeth in amulet now uh i've been having a lot of fun with a blue green urza list um uh, that uh we built and i'm really excited to see if i can snag a trophy so i can share it but it's just gasoline uh also if you find me on moto uh my tag is moniz0801 uh shout out if you're a fan of the podcast or if you're a fan of any of our work uh much appreciated uh, I'm Andy Wilson. You can find me on Twitter if you want to. Yes. The end. End of end of outro. End of, end of outro. <laughs> All right. I'm uh, Nicholas Bruno, also known as Punt Then Wine. You can find me on both Twitter and YouTube as Punt Then Wine. On my Twitter, there's a link to my Calendly. If you uh, would like to get some amulet tutoring for me, uh, I currently charge $40 an hour for that so uh and you can just sign up directly through those links uh thanks everybody and I'll fuck I can't do an outro I can't it's a bargain it's a bargain $40 <laughs> for an hour of this man's time a bargain come on you guys this has been Titan Talk thank you for listening <laughs> that's a solid end there <laughs>